Well, good morning, Bell Shoals family. My name is Corey Abney, and I serve as the lead pastor here and so thrilled to welcome those of you who are with us in the room at our Brandon campus for Father's Day. And we welcome, of course, all of you who are joining us online from places across the country and even around the world. And certainly wish all of you a happy Father's Day as well. Whether you're uh, just tuning in online from home or you're traveling today, it's a special day as we as we give thanks for our fathers, the men in our lives who invested so much and have made such an indelible mark on our lives. And, and we do that appropriately because being a father in particular or being a parent in general is hard. <laughs> it's hard. Uh, Jim Gaffigan, the comedian said, there should be a children's song. If you're happy and you know it, Keep it to yourself and let dad sleep. <laughs> I like that. Dads, dads are unique in how we roll sometimes. Bruce Cameron said, I know that if my mom fell and screamed for help, that my dad would jump right up to rescue her as soon as it was halftime. <laughs> Can any of you relate to that? I don't, don't raise your hand. Here's a, a life experience that I thought was pretty unique. Glenn Super said, my father refused to spend money on me as a kid. One time I broke my arm playing football and my father tried to get a free x-ray by taking me down to the airport and making me lie down with the luggage. <laughs> I don't think it works that way. And then the great Jerry Lewis said, when I was a kid, I said to my father one afternoon, dad, will you take me to the zoo? And he said, if the zoo wants you, son, they can come and get you. <laughs> well, today we're talking about fatherhood, actually, in our series entitled Knowing God. And, and we're talking about one of the key attributes of God that we see actually in our fathers, and that's the attribute of love. I'm so blessed to have an incredible father in my life and uh, would not be who I am or where I am without him. I, you may not know this about me, I actually grew up in the Old West. I have a picture here to prove it. I, I grew up, uh, I grew up a pretty bad dude. You didn't wanna mess with my family. You'll see here, there are a few props in this photo. My father's mustache is not one of them, that is real. I don't know if any of you had something like that back in the day. I'm so blessed to have an incredible father, incredible brother and family. And, you know, we, we learn a lot from our fathers. Certainly our fathers teach us, they coach us, they discipline us, but, but they communicate a love and a provision to us that ultimately reflects the love and the provision of our heavenly father. And that's why in the Bible, that one of the most pronounced metaphors for God's care for us is family or fatherhood. Like we have these various metaphors in the Bible of like how we relate to God, right? And, and we've, we, we've seen that, that God is holy and he's, he's, he's just infinitely glorious and he's set apart from all that he has made. Like there's no one like our God, right? Like, like, like to know God is to be an awe in him. Like he is so much like bigger than we could ever imagine. Like he's powerful, he's infinitely wise. We talked about that last week that only is he holy and glorious and wonderful and powerful, but he's also wise, meaning that even when we don't fully understand how he's working in our lives or in the world around us, 
He is working in a way and we can trust he's working in a way that is for our good. Because even when we don't understand, we have a God who always understands. Because he knows all things and he not only knows all things, but he, he, he's wise in all things. He knows the best outcome in any situation and how to accomplish it. So, so we, we, we see in the Bible, these beautiful descriptions of God and then these metaphors that help us to relate to him. And, and again, the, the most profound metaphor is that of a father that, listen, here's what we're gonna see today, that, that, that this great and glorious and beautiful and holy and majestic and wise and powerful God has made himself known to us in such a way that we can relate to him as we relate to our fathers. In other words, this God can be known. This great, glorious, majestic, powerful, infinite, wise God is not just like a God that we can know about or a God that we can be in fear of. No, this is a God that we can be in relationship with, which is really an overwhelming thought. And today we're gonna, we're gonna kind of delve into the the attribute of love, the fact that this great, glorious, wonderful, majestic, holy, powerful, knowledgeable, present, wise God can be known personally and intimately. And, and here's kind of the tip of the spear for how we know God. It's his love. Because as God draws us to himself, he draws us to himself through his loving kindness, his gracious initiative and his merciful disposition toward us, a people who don't deserve it. And so today we celebrate the fatherly love and grace and mercy and provision of God. We think about this attribute of love that really defines God's relational initiative with us. He comes to us as a loving God. And so, and so we're gonna talk about a couple of realities of love in general, and certainly in particular, how they relate to the nature and character of God. But I, I do think love in our society is largely hollow and misunderstood. And so we really need to, to come to God to see what love is and how it relates to us and how it can change us for the better. And so I wanna share with you what I call three realities of love. And we see them in 1 John chapter four. So if you have a copy of God's word, I'd love for you to, to turn with me on your phone or your tablet, or if you have a hard copy of God's word today, 1 John chapter four, we see here really the, 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 the ultimate reality of love manifested through the nature and character of our God who through his grace and kindness can be our father, right? And so, and so as we come to 1 John 4, I wanna pick up in, in verses seven and eight, here's what John says to us. He says, friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So he's gonna tell us here the opposite is true. The, the one who does not love does not know God because, this is huge, God is love. So the first reality of love that we see here today is that God is the source of love. Make a note of that. God is the source 
of true, authentic, genuine love. Here's what John says. John's actually encouraging these believers to love each other. And in the midst of that, he's taking them to the source of love and he's making a natural connection that, hey, if you know God, like if you know this holy, majestic, powerful, wise God, then you know he's also a God of love who's invited us into a relationship with himself. And therefore, you must be a loving person as a result. You can't know God and not know his love. And therefore you can't know God and not become a loving person to others. <laughs> That's his concern. And as he's, as he's kind of providing this foundation for why we love each other, he, here's what he says. He says, we can love one another because love is from God. Here's what he's saying. God is the source of true, authentic, genuine love. And everyone who loves has been born of God. Now listen to this very, very, very carefully, okay? What John is saying. What he is communicating is that only a person who knows personally the love of God can truly love someone else. Here's what this means. And this is a controversial statement. You will never find true love in the world. You will never find true love in any human relationship where God is absent. You will never find love in the academy. You will never find love in a political institution. You will never find love in your workplace surrounded by other people with the same career goals as you. You will never find love in the arms of a person who hasn't first been embraced by the arms of God. Here's what John is saying. Look look at what he says. He says, we love one another because love is from God. He's the source. And therefore, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God. (coughs) To know true love and to be able to love others is something that is sourced only in the love of God. And here's what John says right there in verse eight. This is because... God is love. Now, now notice what he says here. This is, this is not God is loving. That's not what John says. John does not say God is loving. He says he is love. This is one of the very few places in all of the Bible where God is described in terms of an attribute like this, where God is fill in the blank. God is love. This is so rare and unique, but it's defining of how God relates to us. Yes, he is holy. Yes, he is set apart. Yes, he is our creator and sustainer. Yes, to come into his presence is to be overwhelmed by his holiness and majesty and to be in awe of him. Yes, he is wise. Yes, he is ever present. Yes, he is all knowing. He's all of these things. But here's the interaction point for you and me. He he has come into this broken world that he created and he's interacted with us in such a manner that we can be in a relationship with him. Why? Because this is the very nature and character of God. He is love. Therefore, everyone he's interacting with, he's interacting with, with a disposition of love. And he was love before he created you and me. You say, well, how how could God be love Without someone to love, nah, uh, 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 God is one in three, three in one. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What do we know of the Trinity? That there is perfect love and relational harmony between the three. One God and three persons. Love shared between the three from eternity to eternity. God does not need you and me to be love. (laughs) God is love and his love is manifested between the three members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But here's this the wonderful aspect of, of, of what we see in human history, that God's made us to reflect his glory, his image in the world, right? We are his image bearers, meaning we have a capacity to know him in a unique way. We have a capacity to live forever and everyone will live forever somewhere because we are made for eternity, just like God is eternal. And therefore, here's what's so cool. God's made us then to share in his relational love, the relational love that exists between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exists between us and the Father as well. Why? Because he is love. He is the source, therefore, of love. You cannot know true love, genuine love, authentic love without God being involved. He is love's source. John makes this so crystal clear to us. And here's what our world gets wrong. Our world sees love as as something that primarily benefits us. That's why in our world today, love is pushed more, not like godly love, biblical love, as we're gonna see in a moment. The, The love that's often promoted today is more widespread tolerance. It's acceptance of all things. If there are things that you would deem harmful, then, 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 then you, you can be branded a bigot today because no, love means that you have to accept all things, tolerate all things, embrace all things. And if you've noticed, we live in a cultural war whereby we are told that if we do not fully embrace and accept the philosophies of our day, then we are out of step with what it means to love. And listen to me very, very carefully. That is not the love of God. The love of God, right? Yes. The love of God, listen to me very carefully, is compatible with his holiness, meaning that God would never love you towards something that was harmful for you. God would never love you toward an injustice. God would never love you toward something that's immoral. God would never love you toward something that is destructive to you, your marriage or your family, your financial future, right? God would never love you toward anything that's destructive or harmful, contrary to his design and his will and his plan and his purpose for you. And so love is not full widespread tolerance and acceptance of all things. That is not love at all. Actually love, the love that's sourced from God is a love that always involves what is best. It's a love that's commensurate with God's wrath. If you, if you remove God's wrath from his love, then you also take away his love for this reason. Listen, when you truly love someone, right, and, and they are harmed in some way that promotes in you a certain type of righteous anger or wrath, if you will, because someone that you truly love has been wrongly treated or harmed. And you can see where in a biblical understanding, things like love and wrath go together. They don't work apart. 
That's why the scripture says God's love, God as the source of love, even at times treats his children, that's you and me, as our fathers treat us who love us. Meaning there are times that when we are heading on a direction that's for our harm, he will discipline us and he will bring about circumstances and conversations that might be difficult, but necessary to put us back where we need to be. That's not God being mean, that's God being loving. And wisdom dictates that we turn toward our father and we say, thank you for these difficult circumstances. Thank you even for allowing me to endure the consequences of my sin because it's put me back in a place where I need to be, a place of true peace and joy. And therefore God's love is not full acceptance and tolerance of all things. God's love is commensurate with his holiness and his wrath and his grace and his mercy and all these things together to ensure that we experience what is best. And you won't find that in the world. Atheism and naturalism have no framework for what it means to truly love someone else. Atheism and naturalism has no framework for human consciousness and how we explain that human beings have the capacity to know our existence in a way that no other being does, to contemplate eternity, to have higher level relationships, to have the capacity for things like love and forgiveness. You know, these things are not found in the world. You can't even explain them through the natural world. Listen to me very, very carefully. The reason for this is because God is the only source of true authentic love. You won't find it anywhere else. That means if you want to experience true love in your marriage, you better put God in the middle of it. You wanna experience true love in your family, you better put God in the middle of your family. It means if you want to truly love others in a way that promotes relational harmony and unity and togetherness and purpose, it doesn't mean that you have to agree on everything. Here's what it means. You better, better put God in the middle of your relationships and understand that his glory is the center of all things. So, so here's what John is saying. Let's love each other because love is from God and everyone who truly loves has been born of God. And if you don't love, it means you don't know God because God is love. Not just that he's loving, he is love. He's the source of love. And not only is he a source of love, I love this part, check this out. He's also the initiator of love. Not only is he the source of love, he's also the initiator of love. Here's what John says in, 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 in uh, chapter four and verse 10. He says, and so love consists in this. So how do we see the love of God? How do we experience the love of God? Not that we've loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. We saw a couple weeks ago and talking about God's holiness, that God doesn't need us, right? Like he's, he's perfectly content on his own. Like he's perfectly satisfied and fulfilled in a loving relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But yet he's created us in his image for his glory, for a purpose with eternal consequence. And, and therefore, even in our sin and brokenness and rebellion, when we turn from God and we seek to do our own thing, he, here's God's disposition toward us. He's pursuing us. And he's pursuing us in, in such a way that it cost him something. And we know that it cost him actually his, his only begotten son, Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, right? And, 
And that's what John is saying. Not only is God love, he's the source of love. He's the initiator of love. And so John's saying, listen, here's the thing. Those days when you doubt, those days when maybe you're overwhelmed with anxiety, those days maybe when fear creeps in, those days when you are mindful of your own failures and insignificance, or those days when you're, when you're contemplating your your lack of worth or value, right? Maybe you're, you're caving to the pressure of the world around you. There's something internally in you, some insecurity that's unhealthy and it's driving you away from this full acceptance in God. Here's what John wants you to know. Maybe it's a day where you're, you're yielding to your pride and you're walking around thinking like you are, you are God's gift to the church. <laughs> and you walk through the lobby and you think people should be thanking me that I'm here today. <clears throat> Whatever the case may be, whether it's yielding to pride or yielding to some type of unhealthy insecurity or fear or anxiety. Listen, here's what John is saying. Your current relationship with God is not based on you. God doesn't love you because he can't live without you. Do you remember me singing a couple of weeks ago? I can't live if living is without you. Remember that? <laughs> Mariah Carey, right? Was that Mariah? That's the Mariah one. Don't act like you don't know Jason Millsaps, you know. I can't tell you how many times I've been walking through our worship offices and I hear Mariah Carey coming out of Jason's office. It's just, no, not really, not, not really. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. It's Elvis Presley actually, but okay. But it, right, like, okay, it's, this, 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 this is not, we live in a world where God just can't live without us. Here's what John is saying. We live in a world where through God's kind, gracious initiative, he invites us into a relationship with himself. And he does it, listen to me, even though he doesn't have to. That's what John is saying. Not only is God love, not only is love only sourced in God, found in God, experienced in God. Here's what he's saying. God is the initiator of love. In other words, we, we know and experience true love because God has initiated it with us. And in those moments where you succumb to fear or doubt or anxiety or insecurity, or in those moments where you're tempted to think more highly of yourself than you ought, just keep reminding yourself, I am who I am because of the kind, gracious initiative of a loving God. And here's what that means. No matter what you go through in life, your father loves you. Days of disobedience, your father loves you. Moments of waywardness, your father loves you. You say, I don't know. No, 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 no. God loves you. Here's what John is saying. This is what love consists of. It consists in this, he says, not that we love God, right? This isn't like, okay, we loved him, so at some point we're gonna stop loving him. No, 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 this is, he's loved us and he's proved it by sending his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And therefore there will never, ever, ever be a time in our lives when God does not love us as his children. For those of us who have come into a saving relationship with him, and that's because of this third reality of love. All right, here, here's, here's the last thing that John highlights for us. We think about this fact that God is love, not just that he's loving, that he is love. He, he, here's what he says, that love, here's what love truly is. It's a self-sacrificing action, not a self-serving emotion. Here's where our society gets it wrong. Here's where human nature gets it wrong. We think of love as either 
unabated tolerance and full acceptance. We think of love as something that ultimately, ultimately benefits us. We think of love as a self-serving emotion. We, 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 we experience it with certain relationships and when those relationships cease to bring certain love and fulfillment to us, then we cut them out. We see love as something that's governed largely by emotion when here's the thing, with, with God and, and with therefore true love, love is not something rooted in emotion. Love is something that is born out in action and it's self-sacrificing action. Look at what John says in verse nine. He says, God's love was revealed among us in this way, right? So God is the source of love. God is love. God is the initiator of love. This isn't based on us. This is based on him. Our relationship with him is based on him. He initiated. He first loved us. We didn't love him. He loved us. And then he revealed his love as the source and as the initiator in this way, that he sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. In other words, God's love is not so much about how he feels about you as it is what he's done to prove to you that he loves you. This is not touchy-feely 80s love ballads music, right? <laughs> Listen, this is something born not out of self-serving emotion but sacrificial action, God proving to you that he loves you. And parents, isn't that what true love is all about in the context of family? It's not saying to your children, hey, I love you, and then just like not providing for them, caring for them, disciplining them, having hard conversations with them. No, you do all those things because you love them. True love, listen to me, is born out in self sacrificing action, not self-serving emotion. And it's very, very difficult this side of heaven in terms of simple human relationships to experience true, unmerited, unconditional love. I guarantee you that none of you have ever said on a first date, hey, I just want you to know I love you unconditionally. There is nothing you will ever tell me that will cause me to not love you for the rest of my life. If any of you have said that on a first date, you are super weird. And you, you need a whole different message altogether, all right? Do you know why you would ne never tell a person that you've never hung out with before that you love them and will love them no matter what for the rest of your life? Because your love of that person is not truly unconditional. You're not ready to lay down your life for that person. And I'm not saying you should. That person might be an ax murderer for all we know. So you don't see human like unconditional love you don't say to someone on a first date, I love you no matter what. <laughs> Probably the closest example that we have to true unmerited, unconditional love is found in the context of a parent-child relationship. Again, why we refer to God, not just as a great, glorious, holy, majestic, wise God, but as Father. Because there'll never be a day when I say to one of my four children, you know, it's just not working out between us. <laughs> no, 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 it's not you, it's me. No, it's not you, it's, but you know, 
you're going to have to pay for your own college. Oh, trust me, I would like to say that. No, you're on your own for your weddings. How about you're on your own for your own gasoline, <laughs> right? I have said that actually. Okay, I, I don't love my kids that much. <laughs> right? Okay, you grow to love your spouse unconditionally, at least as much as you can this side of heaven. But there is something unique about your children. From day one, there is some type of love there whereby it's like, I'm gonna love you no matter what. That's probably the closest thing we have on this side of heaven, which is why our God has revealed himself to us as our father. He loves you that much. This is what John is saying. Not only is he the source of love, not only is he the initiator of love, but he shows us what love actually is, not something that's just rooted in self-serving emotion, something that is revealed to us through sacrificial action. And here's, here's the ultimate demonstration of God's love that in our brokenness, in our lostness, right? In our desperation, in our pursuit of happiness and fulfillment in all the wrong places, here's what God has done. God has come to us through his initiative and he gave of his son. He gave of himself on the cross. He poured out the wrath that we deserve for our sin and rebellion on his son so that in our place, he hung condemned. That's not emotion, that is action. God has proven to every single one of you that he loves you no matter what. You say, there's no way God can love me. You don't know what I've done. I don't know what you've done, but I know this. Jesus went to the cross for it. He died for it. Nails put through his hands and feet for it. A crown of thorns put on his head for it. The wrath of God poured out on him for it. Whatever it is, I promise you, it is not greater than the love of God proven through his sacrificial action. This is love. And that's why on Father's Day today, we celebrate this love, the fact that our God is love and the fact that we have fathers who love us and emulate that love to the best of their human ability. A love that is truly unconditional, as best as we know how to communicate that. A love that's not based on, on feeling or emotion. Man, there have been plenty of times throughout the years, especially when my kids were little, I didn't always feel love toward them. Anybody with me on that? 1.30 in the morning, they're still not going to bed, coming in, making noise. I mean, there were, I thought about moving and not letting them know. <laughs> but you get up the next day and you provide and you get up the next day and you engage and you get up the next day and you love, why? Because you love your children for this reason. You love them. You ever think what you'd say if one of your kids came to you, maybe they have, say, hey, mom, dad, why do you love me? What would you say? Well, because you're a straight A student and, well, because you're gonna pick my nursing home one day and so I'm <laughs> thinking ahead. <laughs> I mean, like for real, what would you say? Mom, dad, why do you love me? You know what the answer is? Because I love you. Yeah, but mom, dad, I'm not a straight A student. I love you. 
I don't have the best nursing home picked out for you. I love you. <laughs> I love you. I may shift your inheritance, but I love you. I love you. Right? I mean, think about it. Why, why do you love your children? I'm not even going to get into the grandparent parental love. That's a love that surpasses the love of God. Okay. Those of you who are grandparents, I don't even want to hear about it. That's an unconditional love times two. Why do you love your children and your grandchildren? Why? Why do you love them? Because you love them, right? And that's how God loves you. Say, God, why do you love me? Because I love you. You're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. And then if you were to ever ask, and even if you were to ask in a moment of weakness, in a moment of discouragement, in a moment of hardship, but God, do you really love me? Here's the answer. Here's what John is saying. You want the proof? Look to the cross. Amen. Yeah, he loves you. Not in a shallow, superficial, selfish, 21st century kind of way that our world understands as love. He loves you as the source and the initiator in a way that means he's proving it to you. Day after day after day, he loves you. Which is why Paul says in Romans 8, look at this. He says, he didn't give you a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You don't have to have fear today. Anxiety, worry, you don't have to... Instead, you receive a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. God is not just a holy, glorious, infinitely wise, powerful God. He's our Father. He's, he's initiated a relationship with us through the shed blood of Jesus. He's covered all of our sin. If we'll just turn to him in faith and ask for his forgiveness and, and bend the knee and confess that he is Lord and commit to follow him. Here's what he's saying. I love you. I, I adopt you into my family, right? That's why Paul goes on to say in Romans 8 and verse 35, look at this. Then what can separate us from the love of Christ? I mean, can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, because of you were being put to death all day long, were counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul's talking about just the hardship that he's endured, that believers endure. Sometimes we work through this world in such a way that it's hard, it's difficult, it's wearisome. We fail, the world fails us, people fail us, friends fail us, spouses fail us. You know, I mean, but we just live in a broken world. But, but, but here's, what, here's what Paul is saying. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. How? through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life or angels or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is our hope, right? This is our hope. We are loved by God. Why? Because he is love. He's the source of love. He's the initiator of love. And it's true love. What is that? A love that is not rooted in self-serving emotion, but sacrificial action. That's love. And he loves you today because he loves you. And there's nothing that will ever separate you from this love. Which is why Richard Baxter said this, is it a small thing in your eyes to be loved by God? Listen to me. Is it a small thing in your eyes to be loved by God, to be the son, the spouse, the love, the delight of the king of glory? 
Christian, he says, believe this and think about it. You will be eternally embraced in the arms of the love which was from everlasting and will extend to everlasting of the love which brought the son of God's love from heaven to earth, from earth to the cross, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to glory. That love which was weary, hungry, tempted, scorned, scourged, buffered, spat upon, crucified, pierced, which fasted, prayed, taught, healed, wept, sweated, bled and died. That love will internally embrace you. Is it a small thing that you are loved by God? No. And so today and in every day to come, we cling to this hope that our God is holy, that our God is wise. And yes, dear friend, our God is love. Not just loving, he is love. And he loves you with a love that is never failing and that is forever. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, there are three that remain. Faith, hope, and love. And then you remember what he said? And the greatest of these is what? Love. And today I wanna to encourage you, wherever you are in your walk with Jesus, to anchor your life to his unfailing love. He loves you. And if you're here today, if you're watching online today and you've never, you've never come to this great and glorious and loving and forgiving God for your own forgiveness, for grace and mercy, I want you to know that those things can be found today in him. I wanna encourage you if you've never asked Jesus into your life to forgive you, if you've never committed to live for him, to trust him as savior and Lord, to do that today. God loves you. He will receive you. He will forgive you. He will give you meaning and purpose and fulfillment in your life. You will know true love because you can only know it through God. And I wanna just urge you and plead with you to accept this love into your life, to submit to it and embrace it because it will change your life for the good. This is the love in which we stand. This is the love that gives us confidence in a crazy world. The love of God that is never ending and unfailing. 